0: Everybody, Raul here for Bass Musician Magazine, and today we have the extraordinary honor and pleasure of chatting with none other than electric upright bassist, musical director, songwriter, producer, session and touring musician, Zach Fowler. Yay! How you doing? <laughs> Outstanding, Zach. Outstanding, Zach. So it's so great to catch up with you. I know you're taking a moment out of your currently on tour with Low Cash. We'll definitely wanna talk a little bit about that and so many other things, but we like to go to the past. How did you get started in music and particularly on bass?
1: Kind of without my knowledge, it was uh, Christmas of 1996. I was a freshman in high school and my parents had this big box under the tree. I had no idea what it was. I opened it up and it's one of those Fender starter packs. You know, it's got the red import Fender P bass, the little eight-inch combo amplifier with three knobs on it, the cable, the tuner, the strap, a little instruction book of how to play bass, or beginning bass guitar or whatever, and I was like, well, it looks like my parents spent a lot of money on this, so I better learn how to play it, or they're gonna be mad at me. So I took it upon myself to get lessons. I had a great teacher to begin with by the name of Chris Nolan, just outstanding, and he really emphasized the playing by ear aspect of things played in some rock bands to begin with, played along with my parents' <laughs> CDs back home, and eventually auditioned for my high school jazz band. I didn't know how to read a lick of music. Oh, wow. So I had to kind of crash course myself into that, but I played with them for three years, did some, played with some other bands, started playing locally in uh, in Albuquerque, and that led to college. I I studied at the University of New Mexico under some amazing teachers. Mark Tatum, my upright bass professor, Glenn Koster, my jazz studies professor, they were spectacular. And that's right around the time I started touring and did some stuff out of Albuquerque. I was with a band called the James Douglas Show for 11 years. I had some success with that. Things kind of came full circle. And then I just, it it came to a point where I was either, I was going to have to divert my career to like a regular nine to five, or I was going to have to move somewhere and give the music business a real shot. So I moved to Nashville. And start working out of there eventually joined Low Cash and here I am.
0: Nice, nice. Well, and for a lot of
1: people that short of it.
0: There we go. A lot of people that aren't acquainted with maybe the music scene in the Southwest and particularly like New Mexico is that, you know, you do have to be kind of willing to go everywhere in the state <laughs> for for a gig so you can put a lot of yeah. mileage on just to catch a casino yeah. gig up, maybe at, over at Sandia. You could be down yeah. at Ruidoso, you know, next yeah. weekend. And you know, you, you've really got to be willing to go where the the gigs are, and they're not, I think, not necessarily frequent enough in one particular mm-hmm. place where you can say, okay, I could just stay put and consistently keep going here. You know, so yeah. it, it requires yeah. a constant hustle and. The other musicians out of New Mexico I've talked to is pretty much the, the story. You know, they'll be in Santa Fe this weekend, but then they'll be in <laughs>
1: Taos yeah, after that, you know. That, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, We did a lot. I, I did a lot of mileage um, when I was a, a touring musician out of Albuquerque. And I, I say touring musician. I mean, I'd be, it's like you said, I'd be in Santa Fe one day. I'd be in Taos the next day. I'd have a three day run at a casino in rudoso mm-hmm. and then you know so i mean i i tour a lot now but you can definitely have a consistent touring schedule just as a new mexico musician and i i did that for a while yeah and made a pretty pretty decent living at it but it was it was a lot of travel and new mexico is not a small state it's a it's 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 a fairly large state to travel around in, so I uh, I put some mileage on.
0: There you go. Well, and Nashville, this is so much more centered. With so as a musical Mm -hmm. scene, you've got so many other things, kind of boiling in that melting pot of music, if you will. And then, Mm -hmm. if you're going to tour, at least you're touring with Nashville as your home, and you're going to all these other places instead of having to be one night here, two nights there. You know, you might just be you know night 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 kind of more of a chain kind of thing. The music is pretty different too. You you mentioned your roots in jazz. Now Low Cash Mm -hmm. is very much a country band. So, how has that transition worked for you?
1: It's been pretty seamless. Back in Albuquerque, I didn't play a lot of country. I played some you know more of the more of the popular stuff but i i didn't really dig into the the country thing until i moved to nashville and like, when i moved to nashville it was like i needed to learn all these songs i needed to learn what what they call the broadway standards and i knew a few of them i didn't know enough of them so i had to kind of crash course myself into that but the theory knowledge that i took from jazz and just the ability to the ability to adapt and to do all that kind of thing i i, I think that. Was a definite advantage when I moved to Nashville because, you know, I understood what, you know, four one six minor or five and and all that other stuff. I had to kind of adapt to the number system, but it was a quick adaptation, the Nashville number system. But I knew all those numbers from studying jazz, and so the the transition was pretty seamless. I just needed to kind of know the songs better but that came along as I played around Nashville a lot more and it's, it's worked out pretty well. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty seamless transition.
0: Nice. And how did the gig with low cash come about?
1: When I first moved to Nashville, I had a, I had a gig with a, an artist on Warner named uh, Dean Alexander and incredible, incredible singer songwriter out of there. And I had a lot of fun with those guys touring around for the first six months. I was in Nashville and as, what happens over the holidays, work kind of gets slow, it kind of dries up, and so like from early December to late January, I had nothing on the books. I, I didn't play a show. I, I think I played maybe one Broadway gig, Wow! <clears throat> and uh, I was sitting at the house wondering like, well, what am I going to do here? And just out of the blue, their musical director at the time calls me up and says, hey, can you be on the bus to go to New York tomorrow night or a regular base player stuck in Kansas City, and we're not sure if he's going to make it. And I was like, great. You know, if I if I go on the trip, I, you know, if, if he makes it, I get a free trip to New York. I'll fly home, no harm done. If he doesn't make it, I do the show, hop on a flight, and that'll be fun. He ended up not being able to make the show, and so I played the show. And right around that time, he was kind of looking at other things. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So what was supposed to be a one-day, just a one-off to New York, ended up being an eight-day radio tour. And so I I had to stop at Target and get some more clothes and, and all that <laughs> other stuff. But eight years later, here I am. So, But I, I had actually known the low-cash, especially the band guys that were in the band at the time, from when I used to do the country music festivals with the James Douglas show. Like You'd have the country guys playing the main stage, and then during the breaks you'd have... like your top 40 R&B stuff on the side stage. And that's Mm -hmm. when I kind of got in touch with the band guys and started communicating with them. And keeping in touch with them ended up working out pretty well because a few years later I ended up joining up with them. So it was Nice,
0: nice. Well, and one of the big challenges, especially in Nashville, is there's so many really good musicians there. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: it's a lot of times it it comes back to networking or having just a, a little bit of connection there and so many times right. i've heard especially from nashville musicians something like a tip somebody going hey there's an audition tomorrow maybe you should go has turned into mm-hmm. like l- long careers
1: right right so, and that could it, it could it could work that way i mean my audition for low cash was the gig yeah so it turned out that was my version of it i mean i've heard of cattle call auditions i've heard you know certain people getting called up to audition. I mean, it's, there's no real system to it. It's just uh, It just depends on what the artist's preference is. And it, you walk in and do your best no matter what the situation. Um, but for me, the gig was the audition and it turned out okay. Good, so.
0: very good, very good. Well, and we should talk a little bit about how you're getting your sound particularly. What gear are you playing on?
1: For the past five years, my main bass has been a bass built by Paul Reed Smith. And the first reaction that I get from people is I didn't know paul reed smith made bases <laughs> and i was like well they do and they are spectacular the main base that i've been playing was actually not built for me it was built for a guy named tom Beaupre, pray who's currently out with luke Bryan. he was with florida georgia line he's now out with luke Bryan. they built him this base it wasn't for him and prs got it back and said hey if you want to try this thing out you're welcome to do it and five years later i'm still playing it as Sort of my number one base. So I, I, I like to alternate around with bases. I have a I have a new base. I I reconnected with so with the folks at Lakeland about a year ago, and they built me this really spectacular U.S. made 5564, and it's a PJ configuration, and it's passive, which is something that I've kind of been rearing myself back toward. You know, I, I love active bases. I love passive bases, but the, the passive things kind of become a a new sort of muse for me it's it's a more natural sound and so i've I've kind of been reverting to that and this lakeland bass it's a really really great sounding bass it's it's basic as you can get but it sounds so good and the 35 inch scale low b and the i think they're called the neo punch pickups the is the split coil at the neck and then the bridge pickup is like a vintage style pickup but it sounds so good and it's i based that bass on a uh a Sweetwater exclusive basic that, that kind of had the relic thing going on, mm-hmm. so it's got the relic body, the relic tuners, and everything like that, and it's got a really nice roasted maple neck. So
0: nice.
1: But I play between the PRS and the Lakeland. I also have a Music Man Stingray five that I love. I have a I have another PRS that was specifically built for me. That is, it's one of those bases that I don't take out <laughs> of the house. You know what <laughs> I mean? I have a really nice iconic. Jazz bass with Gs in it. I have a, a an NS Design electric upright that I wish I could use more, but you know, it's when the get calls for it, I'll I'll take that out. And then my oldest bass. Well, I have two old bases. I have a 1975 Fender Jazz, and I also have a, a Roscoe LG six string fretless that was actually a. A graduation, a high school graduation present from my parents. And I got that back in 2000, showing my age now, but that bass is 23 years old and it sounds spectacular. But all the basses I have are strung with uh, Ernie Ball strings. I've been really getting into the Cobalt Flinky strings, they're they're great. The is strung with the extra long scale because of the 35 inch scale. And in terms of my road rig, all my amps are GK Galen Kruger. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a Galen Kruger Plex a uh, preamp that I send directly to the house. And I also have a radial Firefly that's kind of mine. Not really, not really my backup, but it's something that I use for tonal, just to dial in a little bit more warm of the tone. And then in my pedal board, I've got some various effects pedals. I've got a Line 6 HX Stomp that has a couple of plugins from a good buddy of mine named Steve Cook, who used to play for Bill Basser. And it's, it's kind of cheating, because I downloaded all these profiles off of there, and it... I didn't really have to tweak anything, and it sounds spectacular. So, but I've got a dark glass overdrive, I've got an EBS Octover, and some other stuff in there too. Uh, an origin Origin Effects Cali seventy six compressor. So, that's the long and short of it. It's great gear, and it's been really consistent for me. So,
0: nice, nice. And are you still playing with cabs on stage? Because I know a lot of groups have gone pretty much to in ears and straight to house.
1: Yeah, for the for the time being, you no. Know, I know that the uh, Lokash boys, Chris and Preston, they, they prefer to have some some stage volume, uh, especially on the guitar side of things, and bass, just for the feel of it. And I would prefer that too, but you know, the reason for the clean stage thing is obviously so you can fit more production, fit more lighting and other kind of cool stuff on stage. And we're just a bus and trailer right now, so the ability to get all that stuff and backline and all that other stuff all the lighting and everything like that is, uh, we're pretty tight on space right now, but hopefully, maybe next year, we'll be able to get a, bring out some back line and I'll have that behind me again. But I don't necessarily mind the the clean stage thing. I mean, it, it, it doesn't bother me not having it. I love having it, but I have a really good set of uh, in-ear monitors from Westone. Nice. Um, and I, I'm able to hear what I need to hear. And So right now, no, we're not using back line, but eventually we'll, Sneak it back in there.
0: Gotcha. Well, for a lot of people, it's just uh, feeling the feeling, I guess, the air push beside them when they have <laughs> those tabs.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it does help. It does help, but I don't necessarily mind it. But we'll, we'll see about it and bring it back out in the future. Nice, nice.
0: And as we look ahead, I know you're currently touring with Low Cash, got mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff going on, but what are your plans for the future?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, this is... Uh especially coming back from COVID. I think people are, are really digging back into the live music thing. And as long as touring stays consistent and I'm able to make a, a good living at it, I love touring. I love being on the road. You know, obviously I love my home time as well. And I would love to have some more home time, but you know, it's being on the road is how I make my living. And as long as I'm able to do that and do it consistently, then I don't see any reason to stop. Eventually I'd like to slow it down a little bit. Um, we we do probably about a hundred dates on the road. Wow. And yeah, it, we we stay busy, but as long as it's continuing to pay the bills and everything like that, I don't really see any reason to, to stop that. But I'd love to get into the studio thing a lot more. I'd love to, uh, to do uh, some more sessions, and I, I love the creative environment that the studio offers, and especially in Nashville, where there's just some absolutely incredible players. I've been on some sessions with some amazing players, and I, I love that creative outlet, so I'd love to do that a lot more when I'm home. And I like to delve into the songwriting thing, too. I do songwriting, I don't really, like, I don't attack it the way that uh, I probably should, As but I'd love to, to work with some other writers, some other producers, and see if I can kind of delve into that world, too. I know I've, there are a lot of bass players in Nashville that do the songwriting thing, and uh, it, it works out well for them. Mm-hmm. It's a good creative outlet as well, so. I definitely like to get into that world of things. So, you know, it's, for now, my future plans are just to do what I do, but kind of expand on it. Nice.
0: Nice. Well, and especially with songwriting, if it's a nice way, if you can get one of your tunes, even if you're not the one executing it, but it starts paying you back. (laughs) because it is getting royalties. It's it's a nice kind of, it's like money in the bank earning interest for you. It just gives you a little something back on that investment of time that you put in. So that's always a cool thing to do. And if people Mm -hmm. want to stay on top of what you're doing, where you're going to be, what's up, where's the best place for people to look?
1: ZachFowlerBase.com is probably, that's that's kind of the, the center of things. It'll send you links to all my socials and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, z a c h f o w l e r b a s s dot com, Zach Fowler dot com, and that has all of Low Cash's tour dates. That has you know some video examples of things I've done, and that has links to all my socials, my Instagram, my Facebook whatever else I'm on nowadays, I'm I don't I, I'm not as up to snuff on social media as I probably should be. Yeah, ZachDollarBase.com will take you everywhere you need to go, and uh, yeah, if you're a, a base aficionado or anything like that, feel free to get in touch. I'd love to talk shop and do all that kind of stuff, so.
0: Very cool. Well, Zach, we appreciate you taking time, especially from your tour. I know time is a scarce commodity, so we, we're very grateful for you sharing some with us. Your journey, all of this stuff, much continued success to you in all of these endeavors. Folks, you've seen him here on Bass Musician Magazine, Zach Fowler. Thank you so much.